You're listening to Health Call Live, your regular Saturday morning appointment with healthcare professionals, where treatment is always painless and there's never a copay. Here's your host, health and wellness correspondent Lee Kelso. Thank you for sticking around for the second half hour. I took some heat this week. Now, I have been a big proponent of intermittent fasting. We've covered it a couple of times on this program. Talk about it fairly often, actually, because it had seemed to be the science said this is a pretty effective way to improve your health. Well, then out comes a study published by none other than the New England Journal of Medicine, so a pretty reputable organization, right? They reported a study that says... Intermittent fasting really isn't all that great. So let's look at that and and revisit this issue. So I want you to see what goes beyond the headlines on this one. So the study claimed there was a year-long experiment that found that simple calorie restriction is the most important part of your weight loss plan. So, you know, the whole idea of intermittent fasting is to go for a period of time without having any calories in your body. And so it kind of gives your body a chance to settle down, reduces inflammation, makes the uh, insulin reaction a little more sensitive. So that's a good thing, right? And a lot of people do this 16-8 diet. It's what I do. So you go 16 hours of the day without any food. So for me, I usually don't eat anything until Till about 10 30 11 o'clock in the morning and then have nothing else to eat after 7 p.m that evening i have then 16 hours my body is able not to be asked to process calories so in this study they took a look at a group of people and they just 139 people and they said you will eat a limited number of calories in this group this group will eat a limited number of calories but only during these hours And so they were doing the time restriction element. And in the end of the day, according to this study, no significant difference. One group lost about 8% of their body weight. The other one's about 7.2% of their body weight. So they both lost weight, but it really didn't matter if you're doing the intermittent fasting. So that's interesting to me. And I, I, I wondered, now, wait a minute, is that... Is it just taking a look at the benefits of weight loss? And and the study also examined that. They took a look at some of the the heart health factors, some of the uh, metabolism factors, and said, again, no real big difference. Well, this is pretty hard for me to accept because I have talked to and seen a number of studies that says there are other benefits. So I went back through the files and I pulled out a conversation I had with registered dietitian and a diabetes counselor, Diana LaCalzi. Let's listen to her explanation as to why she thinks intermittent fasting involves a lot more than just weight loss. Intermittent fasting can improve biomarkers associated with uh, longevity and Again, metabolic metabolic health, so blood glucose, LDL, which is your bad cholesterol, and triglycerides. And the evidence is so strong that um, research shows that intermittent fasting can actually reduce your fasting blood glucose by up to um, 10 to 27 percent. And then LDL and triglycerides can range from anywhere to four four to 37 percent improvement, um, and also can significantly help with weight loss as well. Yeah, so that's a nice benefit, right? Everybody trying to lose a little weight these days. So that's pretty interesting. I understand also it can reduce all the markers for inflammation and uh, do a lot of other good things. So 
tell me about the aging process. You know, I'm, I'm big into hacks, health hacks and anti-aging. How does intermittent fasting play into that regime? Yeah. So during fasting, our cells undergo adaptive stress. So this is a type of physiological stress that can actually elicit positive responses in our body. So this stress actually activates different pathways, resulting in a range of effects, including increased production of antioxidants, DNA repair, autophagy. So autophagy is the removal of damaged or dead cells. And we can get into that a little more um, and decreased inflammation, like you said. Um, and there was actually a 2019 study, so a pretty recent study that showed early time-restricted feeding, which is a type of intermittent fasting, can result in higher production of autophagy gene, uh, which again, like I said, it's a process in in which our body removes dead or damaged cells, um, which are often referred to as senescent cells. And it allows our body to make new, healthier cells. And it's kind of a form of cellular housekeeping. And mm-hmm. autophagy plays an essential role in many biological processes and has shown to be protective against age-related illnesses. So this increase in autophagy can actually play a huge role in anti-aging and longevity. So my understanding of this is when you go a long period of time without asking your cells to process energy from the food that you've eaten, um, they kind of flip into a, a, as you said, a housekeeping mode. They kind of clean up after themselves. And I've heard it described as the ash of all of that processing is swept away. And you just mentioned there's something called senescent cells, which I think are really interesting and we're finding out more about them. Um, they're kind of zombie cells. They, they really don't work well anymore, but they don't die. They just kind of sit there and give off sort of a funk, right? I mean, and they affect other cells around and it can, it's really a fascinating process. Yeah, it really is. Um, cell senescence, basically the cells can no longer go through cellular division. And so, like you said, they just kind of stay around in our body and they cause inflammation. They can affect our uh, mitochondria. So this cellular housekeeping, this autophagy allows our body to actually do a little repair and get rid of some of these um, cell cellular senescence, so these senescent cells. So, you know, we keep hearing that you should eat several meals a day, not just one meal. But I think that now is not the right advice. Are we learning that all of that is no longer the game? Yeah, so there's some really interesting research coming out. And um, intermittent fasting focuses more on when you should eat and less on what to eat. And um, people who, who are practicing this cycle between fasting and um, and then eating, it can have these tremendous results. So, you know, if you are someone who is interested in longevity, I think most people are, or if you are interested in reducing some of these biomarkers that I had mentioned, intermittent fasting may be the way to go for you. Okay, that is registered dietitian Diana Lacalzi. 
And so that kind of goes against, you just heard that uh, she's saying there are a lot of benefits that go beyond weight loss for intermittent fasting. So the study and the headlines you're seeing this week about intermittent fasting doesn't make a difference. I'm not so sure I'm on board with that. And let me add to that just a little bit. Let me add one more layer to that discussion. And listen to Dr. James O'Keefe. Now, he is not just a cardiologist. He is the president of the American College of Cardiology. Americans get up in the morning, start eating. As soon as they get up and they eat till just before they go to bed, sometimes they get up in the middle of the night and eat. You know, people say, you know, they want all sorts of strategies to purify and strengthen their body. I mean, it's not for nothing, Lee, that virtually every, you know, traditional religion down through the millennia have had fasting as one of their rituals for purification. And sure enough, if you just stop eating for a while, you, you know, stay well hydrated, drink water, another non-hydrating, be- I mean, hydrating beverages. Um, but if you can narrow, start off with 12 hours, you know, so if you eat breakfast at 7, finish by, by, by 7 p.m., and then narrow that, you know, to, to squeeze those together gradually to, to get to even eight hours of eating during the day, then you can, you can have beverages in the other parts of the day, whether you want to eat early in the evening, a late breakfast, or combine those two. But if you can get to eight or ten hours of eating uh, eating window, and at least at least fourteen to sixteen hours of fasting, it has remarkable benefits, both for burning off belly fat, improving brain health, reducing uh, probably reduces cancer, uh, lowers blood pressure, you sleep better. There's a lot of benefits, and to be honest with you, the science is still emerging, but we have had enough studies at this point to to endorse this, and we think that. Uh, Again, we've been doing this in around our house for, you know, increasingly for the past uh, five or ten years, and and, and I, I think I can personally attest it's great for sleep, it's great for energy, it's great for you know things like cholesterol levels, it reduces risk of diabetes. It, it, it's and and here's a, a really important thing, Lee. Unlike most diets, <clears throat> this one once. You, and you, uh, you sort of um, intimated this earlier, is when you eat or when you don't eat is probably at least as important as what you eat. So when you narrow that time window of consumption and let your body clear all the smoke out from burning those calories, literally there's free radicals, you know, oxidants, you know, billowing through our system for hours after we eat. And of course we need to eat, we need that nutrition, we need, you know, we're, we're energetic beings, but we also need a time to clear that, clear that metabolized stuff, uh, the smoke out of your system, the debris. And when you do that, it changes the hormones around. Your insulin levels come down, your cortisol levels come down, so you're not hungry all the time. Yeah, so that is Dr. James O'Keefe. He's the president of the American College of Cardiology. Well, it's, I'm still going to stick with this whole thing of intermittent fasting. So one study it published in the New England Journal of Medicine, you have to meet certain criteria to be published in a journal that prestigious. But when you see those headlines that says intermittent fasting really doesn't work, man, you got to dig a little deeper because we've just heard some evidence there that beyond weight loss, which is what the New England Journal study focused on weight loss alone. Beyond weight loss, there is benefits to intermittent fasting. So just wanted to clear that up, bring you some additional details, some depth, some background on that, because I think it's kind of important. And I'm going to just stretch this one little step further. If you add to intermittent fasting, the Mediterranean diet, Dr. O'Keefe says, man, that is going to set you up for the best health that you're going to have. These were the Mediterranean peasants. They would fish 
for their uh, animal protein. They would grow vegetables in their garden. They would grow olive trees. There's a writer, Elizabeth David, calls the Mediterranean diet, comes from the land of the, the sun and the sea and the olive tree. And so they would, you know, they they grow their own grapes in their vineyards and their own olives and make olive oil and they'd eat a lot of vegetables and they'd eat fish and seafood and they'd grow a lot of nuts growing there. Um, and so this is the essence. There was some whole grains in there too and legumes, legumes are an important part of it. They didn't eat much butter. Um, the cheese they ate was soft, white cheese like mozzarella tends to be lower in fat and, and higher in protein. Um, they didn't need really any processed food because they wouldn't, they couldn't afford it. The, you know, the people living high on the hog, literally, you know, the aristocracy had the sugar and the white flour and the fatty meat and, you know, all that stuff and, and, and more calories than, you know, than they needed. But these peasants were out there growing their own food and eating it naturally. And it turns out that when we do studies of those cultures, they had remarkably good health and well-being. And it was a five-year-long study and the primary endpoint was heart attack, stroke, or cardiac death. And sure enough, those Mediterranean diets reduced it by um, by 30%, highly statistically significant. And as good or better than any drug shown in a study like that. And uh, when you do the multivariable analysis, it was actually things like, like adding those fats, like the extra virgin olive oil and the nuts and the fish and the seafood and legumes. Uh, these are the things that, that really made the difference. Okay, I think we've beaten this horse pretty well into the ground, so we'll leave it there. But So when you see those headlines about intermittent fasting not working, there's a whole other side to that and understand that there are some benefits that are not related to weight loss alone. I think we've made that case. We're going to roll ahead here on the Health Co. Live Radio Hour in just a moment. What are the 10 questions people ask Dr. Google most, and why is it that not all forms of alcohol affect your body the same? More on that when we come back. Stay with us on WoWo and the Health Call Live Radio Hour. Welcome back to Health Call Live. If you've got a question, you don't have to give blood to get the answer. Just call us at 447-1190. And we are going to take a look at this segment at a couple of things that hit the headlines this week. Some health news that caught my attention. I was uh, thumbing through the Obesity Science and Practice Journal and doesn't everyone but I found this study that uh, says that not all types of alcohol are equally bad for your body okay that caught my attention beer and distilled spirits so hard liquor um, tend to increase the amount of visceral fat now that is the fat that forms not the jiggly stuff on the outside that's the stuff that forms inside your abdomen around what's called your omentum and uh, it's very hormonally active it's associated with lots of inflammation markers and changes in insulin sensitivity lots of weird things going on there when you have a high level of visceral fat. So, the study took a look at, hmm, does all alcohol contribute equally? The answer is no. Red wine shows that there is no increase in the amount of harmful fat that your body forms, and it may even help protect against that visceral fat. But, you know, keep in mind that when your body processes alcohol, it turns it into sugar, and that's just a ton of calories. So, yes, you're going to get some weight gain influence, but this whole visceral fat thing is interesting, and red wine does not appear to connect to that visceral fat the same way that beer and hard liquor does. 
What about white wine? Well, I didn't see any reference to white wine making a difference in terms of that abdominal fat, but white wine drinkers tended to have a higher level of bone density. So more bone mineralization as a result of white wine that wasn't present if there's red wine on your table. Something interesting there, more study and to figure all of that about, but I uh, just wanted to bring that to you. I thought it was kind of interesting nonetheless. Here's uh, something to think about if you have this craving for sweets. There is an element that says if you have a sudden change and suddenly someone you know is in, is, is just can't get enough sweet foods and it's not been how they have lived, that can be a sign of a particular type of dementia coming on. Yeah, it's called frontotemporal dementia, FTD, and it happens, you know, most people with dementia start showing signs in their 60s, but with this FTD form of dementia, you can see the symptoms starting as early as age 45. And so if you see a sudden change in behavior in a person where they're craving all kinds of sweets, could be a warning sign. No, not just that alone. You also need to look for some other behavioral modifications that might occur. You might see some increase in alcohol intake, some, uh, some behavioral changes. People might lose their sense of empathy and sympathy and some other things like that. But it's interesting that those dietary changes could be a trigger sign that there could be something going on in your brain chemistry leading you deeper down the road toward dementia. Now, speaking of alcohol, one of the top 10 questions that people ask good old Dr. Google every year is, how long does alcohol stay in your system? Well, I think the answer is probably they're asking that they want to know how long can be detected. And the answer to that is it can be three to five days with a urine test and up to 90 days with a hair test. So, if you have some reason to be tested for alcohol use, if that's a component of the job that you do, something like that, keep that in mind, that uh, they can find alcohol in your system for up to 90 days if they're doing a hair test. Another popular question that people ask Dr. Google every year is, what is keto? And that is a form of diet where you, you are limiting your carb intake completely, or at least to less than 20% of what you were eating and that forces your body to pull sugar out of fat and convert your fat into a different thing called ketone bodies and that's how your body converts fat into an energy producing source so that is what keto diet is all about people hear about that it's been very popular and it really does seem to work for some people but not others they say that if you go full keto you're increasing the pressure on your liver and your kidneys and there's some concern that that might not be a long-term healthy thing for you to do. The, what is the number one question people ask Dr. Google? Well, that one's easy. Year after year, it's how do I lower my blood pressure? And if you don't want to take medications and you want to lower your blood pressure naturally, it can be done and it can be highly effective. And man, it all comes back to something we spend a little time talking about this half hour, and that is losing weight. The more weight you put on, it just tends to increase your blood pressure, but also activity level. The more exercise you get uh, also helps to reduce that blood pressure. They say that getting out, taking a walk, 
A walk every day of 30 minutes is a significant impact, a good starting point if you want to try to ditch the drugs and lose your blood pressure. Don't count on that alone. But hey, if you want to start changing your lifestyle, getting out and taking a walk is the right way to get started on that. And what a beautiful day for that today. That's where we're going to close it today. I hope that I will see you again next week. We'll be here with more information for you on the Health Co. Live Radio Hour on WoWo. You've been listening to Health Call Live. Watch a recording of today's program on the Health Call Facebook page or on the web at www.healthcall.live. Drop us a line to recommend a guest or suggest a topic for a future broadcast. Join us next Saturday at 9 a.m. for another edition of Health Call Live on WoWo 1190 a.m. and 107.5 FM. Podcasts by Federated Media.